I don't think that someone started a tech company and they had a little white cat in their lap that they're stroking and coming up with evil plans. That's like looking into your own soul. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready. Yeah, well, you, you better be. We don't need to know people's search history or who they are. Here, users are not the product. My name is Johanna Kinnock. My name is Maria Jinsel. And this is The Five Podcast, where we try to find out what it actually takes to be the change we want to see in the world. Media is focusing on moral leadership. So for this episode, we are going to be looking at leadership within the tech world. The new Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, shows how big tech companies suck up data and use it as the most valuable commodity there is. Yeah, it was really interesting and like quite scary to watch that film. Or how did you feel about it? Were you like terrified after you'd watched it? I was a little scared, but I also kind of just gave up. You were resigned. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's just like okay, they know everything and they can use it in whatever way possible they they want. And uh, the thing I was most scared scared about is that they want to use it in a way that I can't figure out right now. That will just come as a surprise for me. So that they'll like almost predict your behavior before you know what you want yourself. Yeah, exactly. Or something that I can't even imagine right now. Yeah, I kind of got the sense that I wanted like to delete all my apps and just leave the the whole tech thing behind. Yeah, on 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 one side I want to delete all my apps and on the other side I just want to give up. Yeah, exactly. So this for this episode we wanted to try to not give up and to look around for what's actually going on with our data to get to the bottom of that and then try and find out how maybe it could be done in a more moral way, this whole internet thing. For sure. Let's talk to an expert. Christiane Weiler is the CEO of the company Electronista Media and one of Denmark's leading experts in the relationship between technology and people. Welcome and thank you so much for talking to us, Christiane. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We have uh, seen the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and we are pretty scared, to be honest. Um, can you explain to us what kind of tactic, tactics is it that uh, the social media use to keep us online? Um, there are many ways that the social media try to to stick us to their services and, and make sure that we use them. Um, one thing is, this is where our friends are. So um, there's a scale of Facebook and Instagram and, and Snapchat and, and WhatsApp and these other things that we use a lot because our friends are actually there. So um, it's very hard to leave them. There's a stickiness to the fact that our network uh, will be on these platforms. And, and if we leave the platforms, we're going to lose our network. We're going to lose the uh, option of uh, being invited to events or having chats with our friends. So there's a whole social aspect uh, to this. And then there are other um, mechanisms and methods that uh, they use to make sure that we stay on the platform when we're on the platform. And uh, that could be introducing us to content that they know or their algorithms know, because it's important to say that uh, uh, most of this is run by algorithms. So there will be sort of a, a recipe for what would be the right content for me to engage in. Do you see yourself as addicted to social media? And do you see society in general as like addicted in, in the kind of chemical sense of the word? No, absolutely not. Um, I, I see uh, social media as something that can be a bad habit, uh, as many other things that we do in life. 
Uh, and it's something, it's a habit that can be broken, luckily, also. So what's important to notice here is that it's a word that we like to use, and even I use it with my daughter sometimes, and I say, hey, you're totally addicted to that screen. But if you look at science, there's not a lot that will prove this theory. Um, there's a lot of talk about dopamine, but dopamine is something that is released in a lot of things that we do. So it's not something that's particular to social media. If you could get addicted to dopamine, you would be addicted to catching the roller coaster or kissing your boyfriend or, or other things. So that's a whole discussion uh, that I think is uh, taking a lot of the attention and, and, and it's stirring us away from where we should be looking because it is a bad habit. And uh, we can do something to change that. But the social media are also trying to exploit the fact that we want to come back. But the whole talk about the chemistry, the brain and stuff, that's not where the interesting discussion is as I see it. And what is what is the interesting discussion? Is the interesting discussion about how much power these tech companies have? Yes. And it's the lack of transparency that's very interesting here. Um there's so much stuff going on behind the scenes that we have no idea about. We see a video and we think, oh, that's a great video. Uh, or we see something from a friend and we think, oh, that's great to see what she's doing. But the algorithms are feeding us these things according to parameters that we don't even know what is. Um, so is it, you know, why am I getting this piece of video? Why am I getting it right now or at this place? Why am I presented to this person right now? Um, most people know uh, the feeling of being introduced to someone on Facebook saying like, would you like to add this person as a friend? And there's a mechanism behind that. There's a, the algorithm that runs that. And it could be the fact that you have been in close proximity of each other uh, physically, that you've been to the same party or at the same dinner and, and the phones have been close to each other. <clears throat> so there are so many things that are going on that we don't even know why we're getting this content. And I guess they have no interest in kind of showing us those things unless they were told by law to do so. Like, who is regulating these big companies? That's the thing. They're not enough regulation. And um, the, the bigger these companies get, the more important it is because they start acting also like nation states. They basically have, in the case of Facebook, two billion followers or two billion people on the platform. <clears throat> and that means that they can go in and they can influence two billion people by just pushing buttons in their system. So can you speak a little bit more to what they use all of this data for? It's to create this you, this doppelganger, <clears throat> this doppelganger you. It's uh, to have, um, to know you as a full person. Like what, not just like you like cosmetics or you like camping, but it's also about who's in your network, where do you move around, geographically, um, what kind of holidays do you like to go on, what kind of books do you read, what's on your Spotify playlist, you know, the more data they can pull in, the more clear picture they can create of you and who you are. So the more detailed of a profile they have on me, the more, the better of a product I become for them to sell. Yes. So we decided to find out what big data knows about us. To do this, we did an experiment, a so-called data swab, which means that you try to scoop out all the data you can find on a person, in this case ourselves. Actually, if you live in the EU, you're under a quite recent protection law called the GDPR that gives you the right to a copy of all the data any given company has on you. We looked into how to find all of this data and tried to piece together our own personal data puzzle. Google has roughly 3 million Word documents on you. 
Three million. Wait, <laughs> yeah. so we're sitting in this room right now. So the Word documents would, like, if I printed them all out, they would fill up like a whole house. <laughs> I don't know how how much space three million Word documents would take, but it's it's a lot. And uh, they say that Facebook has around four hundred thousand uh, Word documents on you. Every message you have ever sent uh, or been sent, every file you've ever sent, all the contacts in your phone, all the audio message you've sent, um, it's, it stores uh, everything, that, everything that they think you are interested in based on what you've liked, what your friends are liking. Um, they have access to your webcam and microphone. This I think is so scary. Um, so they can track where you are, they can uh, log into your microphone and your camera uh, all the time. That's crazy because they know more about me than I do because I can't remember. I mean, I've had Facebook for 10 years, I can't remember what I did for that time, but they can remember because they're, you know, like digitized. So at this point, we were convinced the tech companies knew more about us than we knew about ourselves. And we went into the data swap a little scared. So it's possible to get all the data that Instagram has that, on me. That's what they say. So it's like looking into your own soul. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm not sure I'm ready. Yeah, well, you, you better be because we're <laughs> going to do it very soon. Go to Instagram now. Yeah, on my laptop. On your laptop. And then click on your profile picture in the right side. Okay. And uh, then click on settings. Um, and then click on private settings and security. Mm -hmm and go down to account data and yeah. then press view, show account data. View account data, yeah. Yeah. So I think the most interesting here is to go down down to your interests, what they think that you're interested in. Wait, It's wait, the wait, last one. That? Ads interests. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found it. <laughs> This is yeah. it. Okay, so... Online shopping. Can I just clarify? I'm terrified of online shopping. Like I always get all the way to uh, the little little basket thing, and you press. You're meant to press. Uh, you know, buy it and leave, and then I just close yeah. the thing right before really? I buy it. Yeah, because I get scared. I'm like, oh my god, what if it arrives and I don't like it? Anyway, they they've said that my first interest is online shopping, cosmetics, hair products, shopping. Shopping and fashion, jewelry, clothes, shoes, footwear. Oh my god! I thought I was out here, you know, woke <laughs> activists like looking at I don't know, cool feminist Instagrams, um, handbags, mobiles, nature, home improvement, hip hop music. Wow, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay cool. with that. Uh, fitness and wellness. Oh, I've been to a gym in like 10 years. <laughs> Veganism, beer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, this is an interesting one. So number, I think it's about number 25 for yeah. me is fishing. Huh? Have you been fishing? Never, never. <laughs> Although a lot of the things were relatively spot on, a lot of it just wasn't. This was a pattern that kept emerging across all the different platforms. Instagram. Camping. I've never been camping. Facebook. American yeah. football. Yeah. I don't even know what a quarterback is. No. And even Google, who, with their alleged three million documents on us, should know everything, haven't figured out the most obvious thing about Maria's life. Cars. No. Blues. No. It didn't say anything about that I'm interested in babies. 
yeah, that's really weird. Because I've been Googling so much. Did it not say like motherhood so no, or anything? nothing. And I also have fishing, actually. They're just trying to push. There's a big fishing agenda going on on Instagram. Maybe the fishing people are very much lobbying Instagram. <laughs> yeah. They're paying a lot of money to just get fishing ads everywhere. <laughs> Getting it to the top. This is, this is the true 1% that's ruling the world. But the question is, okay, so are they just smart? Do they know more about you than you know that yeah. you would be very much into fishing if you gave it a try yeah maybe they or, looked at me and they said she needs to get outside more yeah <laughs> and they know that about me that like that would be that would get me hooked yeah <laughs> or or they just got you wrong i don't know what what's the truth here i i just think it's a very superficial uh, profile of me I, I don't feel that there's any private stuff on this list. So I have a little suspicion that this isn't everything. Yeah, me too. I have a little... Uh, I'm, we have I'm very curious to know about whether this is just scraping the surface or yeah. whether everyone's just making too much of a fuss about this yeah. whole thing. Yeah, we have to ask Christina about that. So we got back to Christina with our confusion. We felt like when we have seen all these interests that they have on us, uh, hundreds and hundreds of interests on Google and on Instagram, it still f seems like a very superficial um, profile of us. They know that I like pink and cosmetics and shopping and uh, what kind of music I like, but uh, I don't get the sense that they really know me. Um, it Like, do they know if I'm sad or happy at the time, if I'm mm -hmm. uh, in love with my husband or in doubt, if I want to change my job or uh, doubting my career or like, w in what depth do they know me? Yeah, well, there's a very, very big chance that they know these things. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg has said himself that he knows who's going to be your next boyfriend from how you <laughs> act on Facebook. <laughs> so oh even God. if you are, if you shameless, ask people, shameless. they know like, <laughs> where are you going? Um, and uh, and if you look at big data, that's the thing with big data. It will tell you things that small data doesn't tell you. So if you have like a million people and you look at the behavior of these million people, then you can start, start seeing correlations that you wouldn't normally see and you wouldn't be able to ask people about. One example is, um, and, and, and that's just to show how, how random sometimes these things seem, but they say something about us. Vegetarians, people who eat vegetarian food on planes, they never miss their flight. That's a correlation between two things where it's hard to say why are these two things correlated. Um, we don't even know, but we can just see looking at big data. If you're the kind of person that would order a vegetarian meal on a flight, you just have much less of a tendency to miss your flight. And what, what we also know is that you can, from the color of your Instagram photos and the filters that you use, So the nuances of your photo you make, they say something about your mental state. Are you depressed or are you close to being depressed or are you in a happy mood? Or These things can be seen from that. So, you know, it's not just about the single data points. It's putting the data points together. And that's where sort of the really scary stuff happens. So because we only got a big list and we didn't see like the intersections between them and how they correlate to each other, that's why it's kind of it doesn't represent how much they actually know about us. You might have a whole list of things that you wouldn't consider. This is a secret about me or this is so private. I don't want to share it with anyone. You know, it's okay that, that somebody knows that I like camping. It's a, it's okay that somebody knows that this is my boyfriend or, or whatever. These are not secrets. But when you put all these things together, 
you can really start knowing sort of the depth of a person and how they're motivated. And that's what they're interested in because they're interested in creating your future choices. And do they have all these data Do they have all these data in in a profile uh, where that we just can't access, saying that oh, because she she uses these filters, she's probably not so happy. I I can't tell you that because it's so untransparent that I I don't know where they're keeping it. I don't know how they're keeping it. I don't know in many cases if they even know because this is based on many algorithms also. So sometimes. It's, it might not even be transparent to transparent to the people behind it. Is that actually the reason why we should be scared that we don't know? Yeah, I think that that's why we should be really cautious because we just don't know and they don't even know. Um, I know that Facebook made some years ago, they made a study. They wanted to find out, can we change the mood of people? So they studied 700,000 people. That's like a focus group for Facebook. That's nothing. They can easily just engage 700,000 people in a focus group. And nobody knows this. Nobody knows they're involved in that focus group. And then they try to present them to content that will push them, their mood in a specific direction. And the reason why they wanted to do this is because they sell ads also. And there are certain times of the week and of the day that ads are more attractive. So let's say Monday morning, people are not as, um, it's not as likely that they will click on an ad and buy something. Because it's Monday morning and they're not in a good mood. So Facebook can figure out how do we make them in a good mood so they are more likely to actually click and buy. So did they ask all the people, the 700,000 people, whether their mood was better at the end of the study? Um, they can see what they do, and that's what they're interested in. So so they will present them to content that will push them in a certain direction, and then they can see, hey, we can we can shift like almost like a million people's mood just by adding things in their feed. So what should we do as uh, like the normal people? Should we delete all our social media or is there less extreme options to protect ourselves in, in this weird situation? I think what's very important now, what you can do on your own is to educate yourself. Uh, I recommend that movie, The Social Dilemma. I think everybody should watch that because it explains a lot of these things. And and there's there are other things that you can read and that you can watch to educate yourself into what happens to my data. What is it exactly that's going on? What is the trade that I'm making when I get a free app? You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So if I get a free app, I'm paying for it one way or the other. And um, and 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 that generally means that I'm giving away some data that is being used in, in some situation. And that is always a trade-off. Let's say it's, a, it's an app that has information about uh, your... Um, Corona status, you know, uh, scientists are trying to uh, to um, look at data from people who are sick or have been sick with Corona to to educate themselves in this. So there's that trade-off that you say, okay, I'm giving away some very personal information, but I might choose to do it because I myself want to know about my disease and I also want to give some data into the society. Yeah, there was a great quote in the social dilemma that said, "If you're not paying for the product, you are the product." Exactly. And I mean, what I just want to to um, underline here is that you don't necessarily have to say no to sharing your data because there can be situations where that trade-off is something that you decide, I, this, I can live with this trade-off. You know, I want to share this data because I want to help science or I want to share this data because I want a free app. But getting the free app, you just have to know what is it that you're paying. Because let's say it costs a dollar, this this app, and you, you decide not to to spend that dollar. But 
what are you spending instead? And is that worth it? Is it really worth it giving away, you know, your location, you know, where you're spent your nights, uh, who you are spending them with, uh, um, you know, how many hours you sleep at night or, or other sort of very private pieces of data? Is, is that something that you want to give away? And I think that no, none of us at this, at this time know how much data is flowing around freely about us. Uh, in the digital world. What what do you see as the worst case scenario for us? If we say, um, how dangerous is it that these companies have our data? Uh, one thing is that they will try to sell me something that m I might didn't want to buy if they didn't uh, put like nudge me in this direction. But what is the worst case scenario? Like how scary can it be for them to have my data? Well, I feel that sort of the the consequence that it's threatening democracy is is where I really find a big danger. So um, if you don't know why you are picking a candidate, why you are voting for someone, if you don't know that you have been um, targeted to being pushed in a certain direction, uh, I think that, this, uh, that the influence that it can have on democracy that algorithms are controlling us is very, very scary. Um, that we can see that you can, by pushing different buttons, you can push a person in a direction or you can make them think or feel in a certain way. Uh, and that really worries me. And um, and it's also hard to see how how it, how we're going to get less of that because it, as, as we see, it's only going to get more. You know, with the same thing as uh, uh, every kind of service that we use will be presented to things. And a lot of the times we'll think, well, that's great that Spotify has made a playlist for me because it's music that I like. But just remember that they can't make that playlist unless they know you. And if you look at something like Spotify playlist, again, you can see your political standpoint from your Spotify playlist. So let's say if someone wants to um, influence you politically, they might just go out and, and figure out who listens to this kind of music and have this kind of playlist. And then these are the people that we need to target. And that is so untransparent um, and and that just so important that we are educated to know that these are some of the things that are happening. I mean, okay, so for me, I'm 23. I've been on the internet pretty much ever since I was sentient. So I'm kind of, I've kind of given up already. Like, I feel like all of my stuff is mm -hmm. on there. They probably, probably know me better than I know myself. Is it all doom and gloom? Like, do I just give up at this point? Or do you see some of these things changing in the near future and, and these these people getting held to account? I definitely think that things are changing. If you look at the past five years, a lot of stuff has happened uh, on, on data ethics and on sort of um, the demands of moral compass in the tech industry. Do you think that these big tech companies have a moral compass or is it just about making money? I don't think that someone started a tech company and they had a little white cat in their lap that they're stroking and coming up with evil plans. <laughs> I don't think that this is the way that hmm. it has happened. Uh, I think that there has been some uh, enthusiasm about, oh my God, look at all the things we can do with technology. Like real sort of a pioneer spirit. And then there's been a um, an interest in earning money, of course, and building this and seeing growth and getting a lot of people involved. <clears throat> and I just don't think that they've had that moral compass. It's not been on the agenda until recently. And now they have to because every one of us is starting to look at this and saying, hey, um, 
why are you doing this? How? Why are you manipulating in this way? You need to live up to certain standards. You need to have this moral compass. So that's that's uh, there's a big change in the attitude from the users and from the regulators. And uh, and by consequence, now also we're seeing some changes in the tech industry that that a lot of companies are saying, okay, well, we want to do something about this, but we need help. Actually, you know, they're saying like, help us. We need some regulations. We need what we to know what we are allowed to do because which framework should we work by? So they should be looking at their own purpose. Is the purpose just growth? Is it just like efficiency and money, or is there another way of measuring growth? Is there a qualitative way we can measure growth? Is there some positive way that we can use the tools that we have to create good in the world? So we cast our eyes, or rather our search engines, around for someone who is actually already taking responsibility in the tech world and found Brian Schildlausen. Is that how to pronounce it? (laughs) He's the owner of Giveroo.com, a search engine that claims to put ethics over profits. Thanks for coming on the show, Brian. Yeah, thank you for having me. What happens concretely when I search on something on Giveroo.com versus if I search on Google? Like, what's what's the difference for me? We are... uh, Socially responsible tech enterprise, meaning that when you type something into the search field, uh, you give away some of your secrets, you can say, uh, looking for something. It might be be something personal or just, you know, who was the president of the United States, and it will return an answer. Uh, the thing about uh, Google uh, is that it collects all your search history. So... Google will have a profile on of your search history, meaning you get more results of the things Google thinks you would like to see uh, than just neutral results. And on 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 Gibro, everybody gets the same result. We, we have a, a flag that people can turn on uh, for uh, geographic uh, results, saying that I want to search in Danish results, and then everybody gets the same Danish results. So Google will have a, a, a pretty good profile of who you are, what your interests, where your, where's your political uh, interest, and so on. Um, and they will be able to auction your your data or you to the highest bidder for, for an advertisement. So how does Giro make money? Uh, when this is this is the way Google does is, does it, and it's ethically like problematic, and you don't want to do this, but but you need to make money as well. How how yeah. do you do that? Yeah, uh, we don't need to know people's search history or who they are to show them an advertising. Search is is really um, it's easy in that way because if you search for new iPhone, it's pretty easy to to you, you want an advertisement for a new iPhone. Uh, so so in that way. When you search, you give up some something that we can target the keyword in in your your search query. Uh, so so that's the way we make money. It'll be the same for everybody. Okay, you don't. It doesn't get stored. Is no, the it difference. doesn't. Get, we don't. We, we don't store the profile on people. We don't have any data on people. But so. is it uh, correctly understood that you? <clears throat> kind of have to choose between being moral or being rich. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, no, I don't think so, because Kibro is not a non-profit. We, we really we are in business to earn money. There's nothing wrong in earning 
earning money. Uh, but if if that's your only goal to to adjust your algorithms to earn more money as many as possible, just to be more rich, you know, just to have another billion on your own account. Do you see it's uh, that it's hard to compete with the big uh, tech giants, or do you see a movement of people who want to protect their privacy and go to uh, these more sustainable search engines? For you know, normal people, there there's a movement, but it's not. It, it's not only privacy. You have to have something, uh, another added value, you can say. And we see different uh, types of, of initiatives on that on that uh, part. That privacy is one thing, but it's, it's for me, it's not. It cannot be the only selling point because also regulations come into play. So I think having only privacy as your selling point is not it's not enough. And your other selling point is this idea that you can every click is almost like a donation. Can you explain a little bit more about how that works, how you yeah, use yeah. the search engine in a charitable way? I mean, if privacy is not enough, we cannot convince, you know, a large enough group of people to to switch search engine because of privacy, then let's try to see what what else are people interested in. And Charity uh, is is one of the things we try to broaden it a bit and say, okay, you can support, you know, children. Uh, you can support the ocean. You can support uh, the rainforest in 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 Gibraltar. That's so when I go on to Gibraltar, I can say I want all my search clicks, or a lot of them, to go towards this cause that I really yeah, care about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's such a contrast to, to these other big tech companies where, I mean, you guys are literally using data for good. Every single click is a is a click towards something improving out in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, you can say that. And, and, <laughs> and we are, you know, we're proud of it. Do you imagine one day uh, cons- consumers of uh, the internet getting getting paid directly for their data? Yeah, it happens already. It happens already. If you use the browser called Brave, Uh, you'll get paid for your what's called attention. Uh, so they have actually built in some uh, cryptocurrency to the browser, saying that if you are on on uh, a website that uh, supports uh, Brave and and uh, take these uh, basic attention token as it's called, you'll get paid to uh, watch advertisements. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if I feel like that's dystopic or a good thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I would say they, 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 they'll have to prove that the model works. But I think it's really an interesting thought saying that that here users are not the product. You really you get paid. It's crazy. Our, yeah. our attention is the most valuable currency yeah, there is. Absolutely. <laughs> Over the last half hour, we have asked a lot of questions about data. Will our data remain the mysterious property of non-transparent, profit-hungry companies? Will it start going toward better causes? Or weirdest of all, will we start getting paid for it? Whether or not it's time we start making money off our attention, it's certainly good to know that it's the most valuable thing we have. So that maybe, just maybe, we can start spending it on the things that really matter to us. You 
You've been listening to The Five Podcast, where we seek out innovative changemakers and try dipping a toe into their ideas. The podcast is brought to you by Five Media, a new global media platform that aims to be a catalyst for progressive action. Go to fivemedia.com for more Five content and subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode. New episodes out every second Friday. Bye.